Welcome back to the Olive Tree Church Podcast. If you're new to this channel, we hope you find this content helpful and inspiring. To find out more about OTC, head over to our website or social media channels linked in the description. We hope you enjoy this past Sunday's message. Okay, good morning. It is good to be with you guys. And, uh, and welcome back. Did you enjoy the relationship series? Yeah, it was, it was great, wasn't it? We, we're going to do it again next, next year. We're going to call it, um, you're still doing it wrong. Uh, and, then, and then the following year, we, we're going to ask you if you're ever going to do it right. No, anyway, we are, we're really pumped on that series. But today's series may be the most important series we do this year as we speak about your identity, who God says you are. And so when you do a series this big and this important, um, I want to start off in prayer. Can I ask you to stand? And uh, if you wouldn't mind, just put your hands out like this. And if you're not a Christian, just like blend in, just pretend and, uh, and go, I wonder what's going on. Maybe, maybe just pray this prayer if you're not a Christian. God, if you're real, show me. <clears throat> it's a good prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask that you open the eyes of our understanding, that you, you open our hearts to hear something that you will say. I ask that you anoint me and that you put your word deep into our church's hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can sit again. So this week I was, uh, I was with my life group and um, the, the conversation started about relationships and somehow it got sidetracked and it went into how scary it is raising kids today. And, and it's scary for so many reasons, but, but mostly it's scary because we are bombarded by voices. They're just like one after the next after the next. We're bombarded by, by language we don't fully understand and change at a rate that we, we just can't cope with. And, uh, and so anyway, we were having this conversation and... Um, and I left there, and I was thinking about it, and I realized the difference between nowadays and when, when I was growing up is just that you had time when I was growing up to center yourself in whose you are and who you are. You had time to reflect, to process. You just didn't have so many things pulling you in every different direction. And, uh, and, and I was kind of thinking about why we had so much time, and, and I worked it out. Let, let me show you why we had so much time. Who remembers these things? <laughs> if you didn't, if you've never used one of those, just put up your hands. We, uh, just, just want to see, oh, thank you, thank you, yeah, a few of you. Thank you for being honest. There we go. We love having younger people in our congregation. Those things, um, they, they were quite amazing. What would often happen, though, is that your Radio, one would go f- side would go faster than the other. Do you remember that? And then it would come loose, and then you get a pencil out, and you'd go. <laughs> you remember that? And, and do, you remember, um, do you remember when hacking began? This is how hacking be- began. Please, can I borrow your tape? And then you'd put it in, you'd press play on this side, and play record at the same time on the other side. Do you remember that? And then uh, uh, if you wanted, so, so the younger generation, you, you never would have, ex- would have experienced this, but if you didn't like the song that was playing, 
what you had to do is you had to what the, you had to fast forward and, and you'd press fast forward and then you'd stop and be the same song. Then you would fast forward a little bit too much and you'd be halfway through the other song, you'd rewind and, and eventually you would get to the song. You remember this? Yeah, yeah. We had more time. And uh, then, then we evolved. We went from this to those. You know what, I looked for one of those. I was so determined to bring a Walkman to church. I just couldn't find one anywhere. Those things were utterly amazing. And if you didn't have one of those, what would happen is you would have one of these. <laughs> I know there were some of you with beatboxes. I know there would have been someone here with beatboxes. We, we had a slower, more spacious time to hear different voices. Right now, we're just bombarded. I, I remember the, the phone that I grew up with. Just think about your phones. My phone looked a bit like this, except that it had holes in there, and I was on a party line. How many of you were on party lines? Anybody on a, on a party line? Okay, there we go. The reason it was called a party line is because there was a whole party of people listening to your conversation. That was what was going on. And so you would press a button, and if there was nobody else phoning at the time, you would hear the ding, and then you dial zero, and then and then and then you'd know that someone else was on the line because you could kind of hear this like reflect, like you could just hear, and so you'd press the button again and again and again until his ear came off, and you'd just go, and eventually you'd put the phone down, or you'd go, I know it's you, Joan, turn Put your phone down. It was just kind of what happened. And if you wanted to organize a party, you didn't just grab your WhatsApps and like put a few people's names together. You, you would phone one person. You'd have to start on Wednesday for Friday. You'd phone one person. You'd tell them to tell three people, and then you'd phone another person. And you generally didn't get through, and you'd speak to the, the domestic worker, and then you'd speak to their mom. And eventually, by Friday, you'd have a party. Everybody would have told everybody else. It was just slow. Nowadays, man, how many ways can people get hold of you? It's like Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook. It's just like everywhere there is just voice saying, listen to me, hear me, buy me. It just goes on and on and on. It's demonic. And here's why this affects us so much. Because if you're a Christian, you are meant to be defined by the Father's voice of your life. It is supposed to be the loudest, the clearest, and the most listened to voice in your life, the voice of the Father. But when you are bombarded by so many other voices, it is often hard to hear this voice. And so, so what begins to happen is we move from where we should be founded, which is whose I am, and who I am. And we, we get pulled by these other voices into what I do and where I live. You see, you can, you can tell this happened when we had COVID and floods and economic meltdown and just looting and one thing after the next. Because what began to happen, we've just been singing that song, I, I'm no longer a slave of fear, I'm a child of God. What happened is we became slaves of fear. And we went from who I am, I'm a worshiper, I'm called, I'm a child of God, I'm chosen, 
I'm elected. I'm anointed. I'm a missionary. I am the redeemed. I am bought with the blood of Christ. I am valued. We went from that to I'm an engineer and a pastor and a leader. And I wonder if these qualifications will get me a job in this place and a house in that place. We went for, from whose I am and who I am to what and where. You see, we, we kind of got hooked into this like orphany hustle. Because if you are not defined by the voice of the Father, then you will be defined either by the voices that are outside or the voice of reason, and you will find yourself hustling. So this series is about bringing you back to the voice of the Father. Now, I want you to know that this is not a new concept. In fact, depending on how you read your Bible, you'll, you'll start to see this concept right the way through. So, so there are different ways that you can read your Bible. There, it's almost like you can put on different glasses to read your Bible. So you can read the Bible through covenants, and you would go, there's an old covenant and a new covenant, and you would understand it through the covenants or through Abraham's covenant or Noah's covenant or Adam's covenant. You would start to read the Bible and you'd understand, oh, so that's why they said that there and that's why they said that there. Or you can read it through a kingdom lens, that Jesus was a king. He came to establish a kingdom. It just wasn't what people expected. And he brings a new kingdom culture, a new kingdom way. And one day the king will come back. It's a lens. It's how you read your Bible. You can read it through a gospel lens, that we were created, we fell, we were redeemed through Christ, and now we're living to renew the earth. These are different ways you can read the Bible, but one of the ways you can read the Bible is called Trinitarian theology, or, or basically spiritual family. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God was a community, that they so loved one another, there was so much joy, that there was so much perfection that they went, man, this is too good not to share. And that they made man in their image so that they could share the love that they had and enjoy one another and enjoy us and we could enjoy them. There was, it was the divine plan. And so God makes Adam. And if you read in, in Luke 3, it says this, Kenan was the son of Enosh, and Enosh was the son of Seth. Seth was the son of Adam. Adam was the son of God. You see, Trinitarian or, or spiritual family theology would say that God wanted children. The Father wanted children to define and to shape and to create. And so God puts Adam in a garden. But in the garden, he is protected by God. He is provided for by God. He, he can access all these trees and all this food. And in the evening, in the cool of the day, he has intimacy with the Father. He hears the Father speak to him and he speaks back to the Father. The voice defines him. And he has the authority of the Father. He can basically say to the elephant, dude, come here. I need a ride there. Like, he's got authority over all the animals, the scripture said. It says, he names stuff. So he has authority, he has intimacy, he has provision and protection, and, and he has, in, I said intimacy. Yeah, one other thing, I said it already. 
Listen properly. Uh, he is shaped by the voice of the Father. But there's another voice in the garden. And the voice comes to Eve and the voice says, did God really say? And then that voice, the voice of Satan, uses three tools that it's been using ever, he's been using ever since. It's called the lust of the eyes, which means, man, it looks good. And the lust of the flesh, the apple is like a Woolies, mouth-watering, juicy, filled with hormones, apple. <laughs> and the pride of life. If you take of that thing, you will be like God. And Eve and then Adam are tempted out of the whose I am and who I am. They're tempted out of the Garden of Eden by the voice of Satan. And they lose their authority and they lose the provision and they lose the protection and they lose the voice. And so we have son after son after son who cannot hear the voice of the Father, who can't walk with him in the cool of the day, who can't eat from the tree of life. And so God looks at this and his heart is breaking. And so he says, I will make another. And he goes and he finds Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I will bless you. You'll be a blessing to the nations. And he says, you will have a son. And through that son, you'll, you'll have nations. And that son... His name is Jacob. He's later called Israel. And I mean, these dudes like have 12 boys, never mind girls. Like these are just multiplied. And so, so Israel comes. And when we get to Exodus 3, it talks about Israel. And this is what it says in Exodus sorry, 4. It says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So if you watch this movie, this movie. It's coming, not that movie. That's a satellite phone. Oh, this movie. That's Moses, it's Christian Bell, and some other dude. And, and what Moses is doing is he has gone to Pharaoh and he's speaking from the voice of the Father and he says, let my people go. Let my firstborn son go. Let Israel go so that they can worship me. Or else God will take your firstborn son. And Pharaoh goes, oh, get lost. And he loses his firstborn son. And God takes his firstborn son, Israel, out of the wilderness through the waters, a picture of baptism. And they go into a desert where they're provided for. There's manna from heaven, water from rocks. And he, he's taken them back into a kind of Eden where his presence is with them, it comes into the tent of meeting and people begin to gather around and hear the voice of God and get his instruction. So they have provision and they have intimacy and they have instruction and they have protection. There's a cloud of fire. There's, there's a, a cloud covering them from the sun. There's, there's all of God's, he's creating them to live as children. But there's another voice. And the voice comes in the form of not just temptation, that they would take Moabite wives, or temptation that they would make a golden calf, but it also comes in the form of intimidation. And the voice says, there are giants in the land and you're small. Go back. Or the voice says, there is nothing but this manna to eat. Go back. Or there's no water here. 
go back. And this voice again and again draws Israel out into this place where they are defined by what and where. What have we got and where shall we go? And they go back into the hustle. And so God does another move after Israel keeps going back into slavery. And God does another move. He, he calls a guy by the name of Solomon. Here's Solomon. He says to Solomon, you are my son. Raise up for me a nation. Live in the promises. But Solly, I don't know if you call him Solly. Don't let, don't take too many women. Don't have too many horses. And I don't know if there was like a, Solomon's hearing wasn't very good or, or what happened, but the dude married 300 wives. Like, I've got one. I mean, it's, it's a lot. 300 wives, 700 concubines. I don't know what went down, but he is pulled away. He gets 4,000 horses, basically like Ferraris or spoilers. Like, he, he gets shifted, and he goes back into slavery. And this is where Galatians kicks in, and it says this. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their family had, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father's set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Every other son gives in to the voice of Satan in the world. But this son, Jesus comes, and everything about his language tells us that he won't shift from the voice of the father. So he says, I only do what my father says I should do. I only say what my father says I should say. I am here to represent the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Everything about his entire life is a son to a father. He lives from his identity as a son. And he goes to a cross. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He is torn apart on the cross. Why? So that he can bring many sons back to the father because this is a family thing. His whole plan is how do I get my sons back? How do I get sonship back? How do I get them back into the garden of Eden where they have the authority and they have the intimacy and they can hear the voice and they live in the inheritance and they have joy in their lives? This is the Bible. And then it says, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are children, God has spent, sent his spirit or the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slave to so-called gods that don't even exist. I want to tell you four things that you are. That I pray God's voice will literally speak 
into your hearts. Here's the first one. You are adopted. You know, a couple of weeks ago, my stepfather, my adopted father, who I called dad, had a heart scare. And I'd never seen him quite so weak. Absolutely, it just shook me. Because he's played such an incredible role in my life. In fact, it's because of him that I understand God as father. Because when I was 10, he adopted me. Now, my blood father belegged the day I was conceived. He was out of there. And when that happens, something happens in your spirit and happens in your heart, and you start to, instead of be a child who frivolously plays and is just free, you start to feel like you need to be a parent. You need to take responsibility. I'm abandoned. I'm an orphan. I need to, I need to play my part. And so growing up, I was, I was quite fearful. It may not have come across, I'm not sure. But the way I saw myself was kind of the skinny little runt who was quite scared of conflict or having anything happen to him and was very insecure because I felt like there was no one who would protect or provide for me. And so I get adopted. And my stepfather takes me in. And some of you have heard the story, but the one day he comes to me and he says, you're going to play cricket. And so I bought you a bat. And for me, as a 10-year-old who's, who's been, you know, we, made, we just made ends meet. I, I get this cricket bat. I am so blown away. I am so excited. I put linseed oil all over it. I'm knocking it in the whole time. I sleep with it. Destroy my mom's sheets. It, it just stays with me. I am so excited. I go to school the one day. And on the way back from school, um, I've got my bat there. And one of the seniors, he's in grade six, I'm in grade four, says, can I see your bat? And so I let him see my bat, and he picks it up, and he starts banging against the edge of the bus. Now, remember, I'd been a fearful, timid, anemic runt of a kid, in my mind anyway. But now, my stepfather is a professional hunter, and he will shoot you from 300 meters. (laughs) And I'm adopted. And I have a new name. And so I get up, and I know this isn't very woke, but I walk up to this dude, and I smash him somewhere between the nose and the lip, and blood comes out everywhere, and angels rejoice. It is just like this, <laughs> this moment of joy. Because when you understand whose you are, you begin to understand who you are. And when you understand who you are, you walk in confidence. You walk in confidence into any room, into any space. Because I'm I'm not just Ross the engineer. I'm not just Ross the pastor. I'm Ross the child of God. I have his spirit on me. I have his solutions in me. I have creativity inside my soul. I am adopted and chosen. I, I walk in not shaken by the fact that petrol just keeps doubling and tripling. I I walk in with a sense of, I am a son of God. I heard a friend of mine, Rory, die about 12 years ago. He, He did this thing. He said, 
The thing about children is they are confident in any setting, but slaves, because Bible, the Bible compares, it says children and slaves. It says slaves are insecure in unfamiliar settings. Children receive the father's love. Slaves work for the father's approval. Children trust their father. Slaves trust only themselves. The first point is you're adopted. And the voice of the one who adopts you should shape you. The second point is you're free. Wait, before I go on. Adoption is a value statement. There's a guy by the name of Zig Ziglar. He said, it is impossible to consistently behave in a manner inconsistent with how you see yourself. If the voice of the Father defines you, you will see yourself right and you will behave right. So first thing, adopted. Second thing, free. It says three things that he freed us from. He bought us freedom from the law. We were slaves to the law. We were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. And we were slaves to the basic principles of this world. Let me just talk to you about these. Free from the law. That's free from religion. Now, if you're not a Christian, you came in today, you got dragged in here today, you're going like, I came to a church because I wanted to hear your religion. We don't have one. The way we work is we have a relationship with God. A religion works like this. A religion goes, you do good, you get good. You obey everything, you are righteous. You, it's, it's like comma. You, you, you work for the things that you're going to get. This is not that. Christianity is Jesus did good so that you can get good. Jesus was righteous so that you can have his righteousness. He took your sin upon himself. He, he set us free from a standard we couldn't keep so that he could empower us with a life we couldn't get. He set us free, firstly, from religion. The second thing, he set us free from basically superstition, gods that do not even exist. Now, I know that you don't believe that you get caught into superstition, but you think about how much Christians rely on everything from saying 10 Hail Marys to a rosary to if I do this formula Christianity, then God has to do that. You know what that is? That's superstition. We, we called into a relationship. He sets us free from from formulas and transactions into relationship. And the third thing, he sets us free from the basic principles of this world, from practical atheism. Let me, let me just help you understand this. When looting happened, Christians who were not shaped by the voice, me included from time to time, behaved like practical atheists. Okay, you look like you don't believe me. Here's what we did. We went, what country am I going to? And will my qualifications get me there? It's it just like, boom. That is practical atheism. It is not, I have a father who defines me, shapes me, protects me, guides me. I am his child. Father, what do you want for me? It is, I'm an orphan and I better make a plan for me quick. He set us free 
from this thinking. See, lots of Christians believe that God put some laws into motion, threw some gravity in there, supply and demand, if you're in business, entropy. Like we could go on, I'm an engineer, I've got a few of them. He just threw them out there and then he said, have fun, see you later, dudes. But he, he didn't. He put some laws into place and then every now and again he'd come and walk on water. Or he'd come and get a, a coin out of a fish's mouth. Or he'd come to you and say, hey, your business isn't working like that. Here's an idea. And you wouldn't even know that it was him. It was just the voice. Or he'd say to you, you don't have enough money, but I'll speak to my other son over there and I'm going to help him help you. He'd get involved despite the laws he put in place. Sons understand that. Sons actually expect that. When I look at the lavishness of God over my life versus my income, it doesn't make sense. You don't have to be an accountant to see that. God's grace and the way he has treated me is just a lavishness. See, the thing about children is that children ask, slaves beg, children's rest, slaves strive. Children are reconciled. Slaves are always trying to fill a hole. Third thing, you're free, you've been adopted, you have intimacy. The Bible says God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. When I used to go home, because I've just been seeing my dad like that, just made a whole bunch of memories come to the front. But I remember I'd, I'd go home, and in my parents' bedroom, now you must forgive me, I'm a, my dad is a professional hunter. I hunted stuff. All you greenies, just forgive me for a moment. In, next to my dad's bed, there were like trophies of a wounded elephant that we had to shoot because it was going to kill someone, and lion that had killed, I don't know, how many hundreds of cattle. And they, they were like, these were trophies. These were like my best days for my dad. And next to my mom's bed, there were pictures of my first cricket game where I made 100, and when I made the Zim team. And there was, it was just like all my sporting stuff. But in the, like where the lounge and dining room come together, in that room where everybody could see, there was this picture of me, I'm like in a goose down jacket and I've got long pants on like it's freezing and you can see the sun is blazing down. My dad is right next to me. He's in, he's in like court broker, like he's from Pretoria. And no shirt, he's looking bronze. He's got a fish in his hand. I've got a fishing rod with nothing. So I go up to him the one day and I said, dad, what's up with all the trophies are hidden away from everybody in your rooms and out here for everybody to see is you looking like a Greek god and me looking anemic. What's going on here? So he says to me, he says, that's my favorite. He said, you were so sick. You'd been sick for three weeks. The doctor had said that you needed to stay in bed at home. And I broke you out of home. And I took you fishing. You didn't catch a thing. But I had so much fun just being with you and seeing the life come back into your eyes. It was just father and son. And some of you are living 
as though he's some God up there who wants nothing to do with you, but he's a father. He wants to be with his child. Even if you didn't have a quiet time this morning, and even if you didn't, you shouted at your dog and kicked your cat, even if you messed up all the way, he's a father who is dying to be with his child. Intimacy. Last thing, inheritance. You're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An heir is a person who is legally entitled to the property or rank of another on that person's death. You know, I would go home and uh, on our farm, we would have these clients come from America, really wealthy people. And they would play, play a stupid play. They would pay a stupid amount of money just to stay. They would pay an additional amount of money to be guided by my dad, an additional amount of money for every animal that they hunted. And by the end of it, I mean, we're talking millionaires, stockbrokers, like the, some of really famous people. But when I went home, I would go back, and it was like a hotel there. There was a cook, and there were trackers, and there were gardeners, and there were, it was just people everywhere. I would go back, and my cook, whose name was Ulfius, who looked like he'd eaten three kitchens, would come, and he would like, he'd run out, and he'd be as round as anything, and he, he'd go, hey, Ross, and he'd give me a hug, but a hug, and uh, as he would lift me off the ground, he'd say, I've made you cornbread, and he made the most amazing cornbread. And we've got buffalo steak ready for you because I know it's your favorite. And I've made you the pudding you like. And my head tracker, who was like six foot five, would come up to me and he'd give me this massive hug. He'd break about four vertebrae. And then he'd put me down and he'd say, when are we going hunting? And the men would gather around and they'd say, welcome home. You see, as a son, you walk in inheritance of a father. And the heavenly father doesn't just have, hey, you're going to get through today. He has lavish grace. And he has joy for you. I, I had a, I've had a rough two weeks. Way too much output, way too little input. Yesterday, I was like, God, I just need some love. And I had to go and pray for someone's business. And I was like, ugh. And I got there, and as I walked in, the presence of God flooded me in a way that was just like, you can't pay for that. This joy just flooded through me. I was sad and then I was happy, just like that. It was just, power came into my life. There is stuff in God that he promises you as an inheritance. And we're living like orphans who have to hustle. My friends, you mean, let me tell you this last thing. Children are healed and whole. Slaves are imposters who compensate and cover over. Children accept discipline. Slaves have coping mechanisms to avoid it. Children are teachable and vulnerable and able to handle correction. Slaves are closed and cover over and they form cliques and gangs. Children talk about the father. Slaves talk about their achievements. Children are lavish in their giving. Slaves are poverty-minded. Children rejoice in the promotion of other, 
others. Slaves resent the promotion of others. When you're a child of God living out of whose you are and who you are, it creates a freedom of soul that impacts the world around you. Now for the next five weeks, we're gonna talk about whose you are and who you are. And we're gonna bombard you with what the Father says about you. And I'm asking that you go on a journey. I know most of you like come every second week. Imagine you came every week to church and imagine you even invited some of those oaks who need to be here. Imagine that you moved from what and where to who and whose. And you woke up tomorrow morning and you went, I am a worshiper. I am reconciled. I am chosen. I am called. I am the apple of his eye. I am bought with a price. Not silver and gold, but the precious blood of Jesus. I am valuable. I am loved. I have his Holy Spirit who sealed my heart. Imagine how your day would go. And imagine if the next, for the next five weeks we just cement ourselves in our identity in Christ. Imagine how different the year will play out. I'm going to pray for you. Will you stand? Jesus, as we go, I pray that your spirit, who witnesses with our spirit, will affirm that we are children of God and we'll walk out based on a new identity in you and not another one defined by the voices of the world and the enemy. And I pray that grace will flow. In Jesus' name, amen.